our inflation rate in December quarter is three and a half percent, which is just outside the two to three percent band that the Reserve Bank aimed for. Pressure on pricing is still happening. You know, we, we know fuel prices are going up, particularly with what's happening in the Ukraine. Construction costs are continuing to go up. But personally, I think that's the right approach. I, don't, I know a lot of people don't agree. They think they should be moving now, but it's a good idea for them to be patient and, and not rush into increasing rates, particularly in such an uncertain economy with flooding and, and war overseas. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. My guest today is Ray White Chief Economist, Nerida Connorsby. A leading property expert, Nerida provides market commentary to a wide range of Australian media outlets and also obviously to the Ray White Group. So Nerida, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back. I think the last time we spoke was back in 2019 and it was a very, very different different time and you've also changed jobs in that time. So tell us a little bit about what your new role at Ray White involves. Yeah, so I've been uh, with the Ray White Group for, well, since May, end of May last year. So it's getting on to almost a year that I've been there. Uh, so I am the chief economist. Uh, I've got a, a I've got a team, and um, in my team I've, I have someone that looks after commercial research, Vanessa Rader. Uh, I've got an analyst, uh, William Clark, who, who works very closely with me day to day, and then I've also got a uh, strategy analyst, Jordan Tommy, who who looks very closely at a lot of market share data and industry data, and, and looks at our performance. Uh, So my role is very much uh, around uh, looking at data and more particularly a lot of our data. We've been, uh, the Ray White Group has been collecting data for a very long time and it was one of the key things that really attracted me to the, the company that they had a stack of data, they, they were using it, but they, they really needed a voice for it. And I guess that's a key part of my role is, is to be a voice for the data but also to provide our agents with uh, interesting trends in the industry, uh, allow them to have better conversations, um, you know, back them up in terms of engagement and um, really, um, you know, making sure that, that their customers have the best industry knowledge and the best market knowledge that, that we can possibly provide. I have noticed too that there's a lot of um, a lot of really interesting commentary coming out of, of Ray White lately, and it must be great for you. You must be like a kid in a candy shop because I remember the um, you know we talked to Mark McLeod recently on the podcast, and he described it as a data lake, which is the first time I've heard it described as a lake. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you're looking at that are perhaps you know like new and different? 
Yeah, so I guess we've got the same data as probably a lot of people now. You know, we, we do track every single sale across Australia, not just our, our sales. We track all listings that, that are taking place. So uh, from that data, we're able to provide, um, you know, standard things, median pricing and all the rest. But we have been delving a little bit more into doing some more fun things around street level data, uh, looking at street names. I know you guys who are great when you put that in Elite Age, and we're really happy about that. Uh, you're looking at what street names commanded the, the, the top pricing uh, street numbers, you know, what are the lucky street numbers. Uh, but then also we've been collecting a lot of information on our auction business. So, you know, we, we do conduct the most auctions of, of any group in Australia. It does give us very rich data from week to week around how many active bidders uh, are at auction, uh, how many auctions are taking place, obviously clearance rates, the gap between highest prior offer and, and sale price. So that, that's been really exciting. And then uh, in terms of our management business as well, we, we are collecting more and more information on, on the rental market, which, you know, is certainly not a market that does attract uh, a lot of research interest and the data, you know, the data is okay on rents, but beyond that, it is pretty weak. But, we, you know, we are trying to really build up our knowledge of, of how rental markets operate, which helps renters and, and of course, also helps landlords and also property managers. So let's talk about 2021 for a moment because 2021 was a pretty interesting year in the real estate industry and a lot of people have used words with me like, you know, I've never seen anything like this before. Could anyone have foreseen what happened to housing prices in 2021? Yeah, look, it is interesting going back to March 2020. It was, uh, you know, an interesting time uh, in terms of, of what happened in the early weeks of the pandemic. There was a lot of panic around what would potentially happen. Um, there was differing views as to, you know, I guess the, the most negative was that we were in, in for this free fall of pricing. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people were looking back to the early 90s recession, as, as, as an example, you know, that was probably in, in most of our lives, probably the worst recession that had taken place and people kind of expecting that sort of uh, occurrence. Uh, I guess though, you know, what did happen was, you know, there was this period of uncertainty and then, and then government did pump in a, a lot of stimulus into the economy and we also saw interest rates hit very, you know, the lowest levels recorded and, you know, there was just a lot that took place. And then I guess to fundamentally, a lot of people could do their jobs from home. And so the economy didn't stop running, it kept running, but you know, the people impacted were, were renters because they tended to be younger, had jobs that were more susceptible to, to lockdowns, those sorts of things. So it was quite interesting, you know, early weeks, pretty unstable, things started to pick up. And then certainly by December 2020, it was clear that the market was was tearing off and, you know, it was really, we, you know, we were seeing this incredible price growth. So by January, start of 2021, I, you know, I don't think there was anyone that was calling, you know, calling a price decline. It was, you know, it's clear that things were moving very quickly and, um, you know, and as you said, and as people have said to you, it was, it, it is unprecedented, you know, when we have a look at, at charts, you know, we have a good percentage growth, obviously that shows it, but, you know, you have a look at the charts of the Sydney median house price from the 80s and it's kind of, ter you know, bumping up, you know, a few periods where it pushes up and then suddenly it's almost vertical in terms of, of what, what happened. And so that was interesting, but it was also interesting that it wasn't just Sydney, it was Australia and it wasn't just capital cities, it was regional. And, you know, there was, there was a handful of places that haven't done well through the, the pandemic and you could list them 
you know, the Melbourne CBD for units, for example, haven't done that well, and North Ride units. But, you know, overall, it's, it's, it is quite difficult to find a place that didn't see incredible price growth during a, a pandemic and during a period in which people thought the, the market was going to move in exactly the opposite direction. It was a pretty interesting year. And I think, you know, like, as I said to you before we um, hit the record button, we had researched some questions to ask you last week. Um, and I sort of feel like every, you know, like they're a week old, like, because that's how fast things move. But, um, but let's go with this. Um, at the moment, you know, like we're dealing with some floods in northern New South Wales, in northern New South Wales and in Queensland and, you know, in, in other places down the east coast of Australia. What effect do you think that will have on the market as we move forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's such a topical thing at the moment because it's it's impacting people so badly. I mean, we have been looking pretty closely at, you know, the, the response or, you know, what people should be doing. You know, that that's definitely been a focus that, you know, right now is checking, you know, check your insurance, check you've got flood cover, make sure you're safe. Uh, I know our property management teams are working very closely with um, with tenants, you know, trying to rehouse tenants out of uh, unsafe accommodation and putting them in vacant rental properties that we have available. Um, so, you know, it does seem that the, the, the industry is working together to really just keep people, um, you know, in, in accommodation and keep people comfortable. Uh, in terms of what happens after natural disasters, uh, it, it is quite interesting to see what happens to pricing. I, I guess, you know, we have that initial displacement of people and, you know, that that's very difficult for rental markets in particular. Uh, you know, we do see, we can often see rent, you know, if you have a look around the bushfires, you know, rents in, in some regional towns that never had rental growth, you know, we, we saw quite strong rental growth as, as people had to, had to get out of um, bushfire affected regions. That seems to be the immediate, you know, the immediate response. And then you've got a 12-month time period where people rebuild and they either, you know, knock down their homes and rebuild them or they significantly uh, invest and, and take the insurance money and prove the properties. Uh, also, government tends to move in and, and, you know, clear up, you know, hopefully start to create uh, a situation where, it, you know, the natural disaster won't happen again or, or the impacts can be can be far less. So that 12-month time period, we often don't see many sales taking place. And, um, and when they do take place, they tend to be more distressed sales. So, you know, it would be someone who's perhaps not insured, just, you know, quite keen to get on the market. Uh, it was interesting today. We've been having a closer look at what happened to Brisbane following the, the in the twelve months following the the two thousand eleven floods, and you typically we saw around a five percent decline in in the worst affected regions. So you have a look at somewhere like Yeronga. We you know we saw about a, a five five to six percent impact on on pricing in that twelve months. But following that, we do see prices recover quite quickly and. Uh, a lot of this has to do with the fact that homes improve. You know, I, I think, um, you know, either they're rebuilt or they're, you know, there's a lot done to them to make them more flood proof, more fire proof, more erosion proof. Um, governments, again, you know, depending on what the government does, you know, often the areas start to become a lot safer. So you've got newer homes, you've got safer areas, people, um, Often, often, I mean, actually, the other main point to make is that often places impacted by a natural disaster are also very desirable areas. So, you know, Riverside, Brisbane, Beachside, Narrabeen, um, similar, you know, Mallacoota, you know, they're really nice areas. 
so they're desirable and people want to buy property there, but, you know, they are also susceptible to disaster. So typically after three years, things are going back to normal. And then by five years, provided the disaster hasn't happened again, things are pretty much back to normal. So, you know, if you have a look at Brisbane at the moment, I mean, the market has been flying. It's, you know, it's, it's certainly not showing any evidence of a slowdown. And um, there's a lot of interstate money going up there. Um, at the moment, you know, we can see that the, the disaster this time around is very different from 2011. It's not... Uh, it's a weather disaster. It's not a weather disaster plus a, an infrastructure failure. So it's, um, you know, it, the, the response is looking quite different. And we, and we do think the property impacts will probably be quite different as well. Yeah, we'll have to sort of wait and see how it all plays out. But goodness, I hope the rain stops <laughs> soon. Yeah, it's relentless, isn't it? Absolutely. And so on another front, this week also we saw... Um, housing prices fall for the first time in Sydney and Melbourne, um, only by a little bit, but by a little bit. Um, what are you seeing in terms of listings coming to market from a Ray White point of view? Yeah, look, it's definitely slowing. I mean, you know, we can see that uh, things are taking a little bit longer to move. Um, auctions that, you know, properties are still selling at auctions. If you have a clearance rates, they're still, you know, they're still pretty solid, but um, the number of bidders per auction is, is starting to, to slow down a little bit. So there's definitely been a switch in Melbourne and Sydney. I mean, both markets are highly susceptible to talk of an interest rate rise and, you know, they do move very closely with, with interest rate talk, you know, which is quite different to, to markets like Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth. Uh, so at the moment it does look like it's about, it, it is slowing. I mean, we, we only... Um, it, we will get a clearer idea over the next couple of months. Like, you know, the big the big unknown is when will interest rates rise. I think there's a there's a, a not a view, but you know, there's a recognition that it will be sooner than 2023 and quite possibly this year. Um, but you know, I think over the next couple of months we will get a clear idea. But but things have slowed. You know, we 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 know that things have slowed in in Melbourne and Sydney, and those heady days of 30, 40, 50 percent increases are. are, are unlikely to happen this year or you know the highly unlikely to happen this year it's going to be a much slower market it's interesting i was actually going to ask you to maybe um if you'd peer into your crystal ball on interest rates but i think um you know uh, what you just said then is is a very clear indication of what a lot of people are saying is that there will be some sort of an increase and it might happen sooner than we think yeah, it's spot on. I mean, I think, you know, the Reserve Bank has said, you know, we're not we're not going to just jump and start increasing them. We're not going to look overseas and see them. You know, we know New Zealand's had three increases. Their property prices are, you know, going down quite quickly at the moment. UK's had, you know, a number. We've got US looking very closely. So, you know, we know overseas is moving, but at the same time, our inflation rate in December quarter is 3.5%, which is just outside the 2 to 3% band that the Reserve Bank aimed for. Pressure on pricing is still happening. You know, we, we know fuel prices are going up, particularly with what's happening in the Ukraine. Construction costs are continuing to go up. But personally, I think that's the right approach. I, don't, I know a lot of people don't agree. They think they should be moving now, but it's a good idea for them to be patient and, and not rush into increasing rates, particularly in such an uncertain economy with flooding and, and the war overseas. Yeah, that's something else that's kind of new in in the week that happened since um since I planned this podcast. But um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is um, well, international borders. Finally, we can um maybe go back to Inman again one day or something like that. <laughs> That'd be really cool. Um, now that the borders are open, what sort of an impact do you think that will have on our market? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously great news. I mean, I, I can't wait to travel again. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people are in a, in a similar boat. Um, if, we, if we have a look at um, universities, you know, they've been really struggling. I think, you know, around 50,000 students, foreign students have already returned out of 150,000. Uh, we're going to have tourists back. Uh, we're going to have workers back. You know, I think this is a lot of industries have really been struggling to 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 find people. You know, to fill roles from agriculture to hospitality to transport industry. You know, they've all been really struggling to to get people. So you know, it's it's great from an employment perspective to to have 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 immigration start up again. Uh, in terms of property, uh, in, we, you know, uh, in terms of property, in terms of migration, um, typically people coming to Australia initially rent first before they buy. They typically come to Sydney and Melbourne first before they move elsewhere. So uh, it is likely that Melbourne and Sydney, not likely, but, you know, it's certain that Melbourne and Sydney rents will start to climb even further this year. We'll see markets like Melbourne CBD, which, you know, rents have dropped by about 30 40% since the start of the pandemic. We'll see them pick up again. A students return. Um, so it's a very good news for some rental markets. It's a bit more challenging for some areas that have already risen a lot. You know, I think a family home now in Sydney is, is quite hard to rent, so that will be a little bit challenging. Um, we will start to see a lot of foreign buyer activity again. Um, it was quite interesting looking at commercial uh, property transactions last year. Offshore buyers were net sellers of property, but um, now that they can come back to Australia, it's quite possible they'll be net buyers again. We're already starting to see signs of more activity there. Uh, similarly, offshore buyers of new developments will, will be likely to come back and um, probably not the Chinese that we saw in 2017, but, but certainly other parts of Asia and other parts of, of Europe and the US, it is likely we'll start to see a lot more interest in Australian you know, new developments, particularly apartments, which, you know, we really haven't seen much um, activity for, for quite quite a number of years now. It will definitely be interesting. And also, um, I remember back in 2019, you know, there had been a lot of intervention in that year when you and I last talked from, I think it was, we'd just come through an election year and, and all sorts of things like that. And I think that there's going to be, well, everyone's saying August this year for an election in in uh, in Australia, what impact do you think an election might have on the market? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I, I think uh, you know we we don't know because we don't know the policies at this point. They have been extremely quiet. That the Labor Party has been extremely quiet. Uh, I think it'll. I think that the battleground will be affordability. You know that this seems to be the issue around first home buyers. The issue around intergenerational. Uh, issues such as, um, you know, older people owning a lot of property and younger people finding it hard to get into the market. You know, I think these are the sorts of things that, that will be tackled. I, I don't think negative gearing will be on the table. I, I think, you know, I, th I always thought that, was a, uh, that wasn't, wasn't a great strategy by Labor and, and not, not because I, you know, fundamentally have a, a problem with looking at negative gearing, but you know, the issue we have is that all, almost all rental properties in Australia are, are owned by mum and dad investors. And if you suddenly withdraw any support to them and they don't invest anymore, then you're going to have a big problem with, with rental rates and you're going to have a big problem with renters who are younger and poorer. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of challenges there. So I don't think it'll be negative gearing. I don't think it'll be an attack on investors and, and some of the, the um, 
the tax incentives that they get. I, I think that the issue will be around well, how how do we create more affordable housing? Is is it supply? You know, this is what the the, the Liberal Party believes. Supply, I agree. You know, if, if you provide enough housing, it, it becomes more affordable. Um, or will there be more complicated policies around you know um, equity sharing, government and and private equity sharing will build to rent, you know, how, how much money will be put, poured in to build to rent, um, what, you know, what, who, who are we trying to help with affordability, is it our most vulnerable, is it everybody, is it upgraders, is it first home buyers, you know, I think all of these issues will be pulled apart at some point, but, you know, at this stage it's, you know, I'm hearing nothing. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard anything with regards to housing policy from either party at this point, so yeah, I don't, I don't kind of, I don't really know as to, as to what it will be. It has been really interesting times in that we haven't heard, you know, too much from from either of them. So, you know, like I'm I'm keen to sort of see when, you know, when it all starts because generally people get a bit, you know, oh, we'll just wait and see, don't they? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it will be good news for Canberra potentially. I, I, Canberra, the Canberra housing market has, has gone insane. Like everyone's gone insane, obviously, but. Canberra pricing has gone completely crazy and, you know, we typically see a Liberal government as being a smaller government and, you know, we've laid the coming, does that mean an even bigger government and, you know, what does it mean for that market? It will be an interesting market to watch once, once the election is announced. So a big trend of last year was this regional shift, which we kind of touched on right in the beginning. Um, and really interesting outcome of, of COVID. Do you think that that will continue into this year and beyond? Yeah, look, I suppose the, the regional shift was happening prior to COVID. Obviously, COVID accelerated it and, you know, the, the changes in the way we work really helped that along. More people wanting holiday homes helped that along. It was, you know, it was, it was a very unusual situation. I remember early in the pandemic, people saying, oh, you know, holiday homes, people are going to get rid of holiday homes because this is what happens in a recession. People get rid of stuff they don't need. And again, you know, the opposite happened. <laughs> People snapped up holiday homes when we saw a lot of demand. So I guess um, in terms of what, what I think will happen, places like Geelong, Illawarra, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, you know, they, they are looking very capital city-like in, in terms of their pricing. So Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast are actually more expensive than Brisbane now. You've got Illawarra, which is the second most expensive um area in Australia after Sydney, you've got Geelong, which, you know, the median's almost the same as Melbourne now. So I think, you know, those areas that are very easy to access from a capital city will we'll continue to, to see strong growth. You know, I really can't see that that changing. I think what we'll start to see a little bit of a drop off in, in activity will be those regional areas that are, you know, a bit further away, not quite within commuting distance. Um, yeah, at some point people will be called back into the office and, you know, it hasn't happened yet, I don't think, to a huge extent because, you know, they're still in work, work at home orders in a lot of locations. But uh, at some point I think people will be expected to come into the office more, which, which does make living quite far away a lot more difficult. So it'll be an interesting year actually for regional areas. But, yeah, the ones that will continue to see strong demand will be those that are joining a, a big capital city. Yeah. I keep saying to people, you know, because we moved, I mean, we made the move from Sydney to the Gold Coast um, last year and we did it all sight unseen. You know, there was a, um, you know, we, we moved into our house sight unseen. We it was a virtual inspection. Um, we bought our office sight unseen. We bought an investment property sight unseen. And then we got here and it was almost like, hmm, 
rather be like 10 kilometres down the road or, <laughs> you know, like, or it, it was almost like because we hadn't been here, you know, we were sort of thinking until we really got to know the area, we were, you know, now we're thinking, oh, I'd, I'd rather be here or I'd rather be there. Do you think that, you know, that that's actually going to sort of speed up a few changeovers as well or are we sort of not normal in that way? <laughs> I think it's it's completely natural if you're like that. And I think that's why people, when they move to a city, they, you know, they don't necessarily bike first, they, they rent because, you know, you, you just don't know, you know, you, you know from your friends and family and colleagues what an area is like, but until you actually live there, you don't really get a true idea. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the other thing too is around that, you know, buying sight unseen, it's all, you know, deciding to, or renting sight unseen, you, you just don't really know what you're going to get into. And now that we can move around a lot more freely, it's going to really change, change again, back to, you know, to the way that we look at property. Yeah. So I think stay, stay close to your customers who have recently moved because they might want to move <laughs> again. You never know. <laughs> Always stay close to your customers. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're right. Always stay close to your customers. Um, so we've been through a fair bit today. Um, is there anything else that's kind of on your radar at the moment that, that you're thinking about for the next 12 months or any other trends that you're seeing? Not really. I mean, look, at the moment, it's all, all about the floods. You know, we are looking really closely at, at what's been happening there. Sydney, Melbourne, slowing is, is a key theme. When will Brisbane and Adelaide follow? Um, interesting, you know, some interesting things on commercial property you know, that I've been looking a bit closely at. You know, I guess the big one is around when will we return to the office and, you know, will we see will we see activity in our CVDs return to the same way that they were prior to COVID? And, you know, why do office investors still have office property, even though tenants are, you know, so, you know, it's such an uncertain industry or such an uncertain sector. It's, it's, it's been quite an interesting to, one to watch. Uh, the other one I'm, I'm looking closely at too is um, agriculture and um, lifestyle properties. And again, that's quite interesting because, you know, there's no shortage of money in Australia at the moment and a lot of people with a lot of money are buying up some of, you know, some beautiful properties in, in places as diverse as, you know, the Byron hinterland to Southern Highlands to, you know, all parts of Australia where there's, you know, some really beautiful properties. And so that's been interesting and also the performance more generally of the agriculture sector that, you know, Australia is doing incredibly well with agricultural exports and, um, you know, at some point that will probably change as the weather changes. But, you know, for now it really is a, quite a fascinating sector of the market to watch. Yeah. Well, it's um it's it's certainly interesting times here and it definitely has been interesting times for the last couple of years actually with all the changes that have happened. So, um I want to thank you for coming on and sharing a bit of, you know, what you're seeing in the market. It's it's absolutely um it's it's really great to hear and it's really great for everyone to sort of stay abreast of everything. Um but if there was one thing or one thought that you'd like to leave everyone with today, what would it be? Gosh, what would be my one thought? I, I'm so used to talking to first home buyers at the moment. I'm like, the best financial decision you can make is buy your own property. That would be, <laughs> <laughs> that's my one thought that I'm constantly coming out with. But yeah, believe me, yeah, that is, you know, buy property, buy your own home, and um, it's going to put you in a, a dramatically different financial situation to, to someone that, that never gets involved. Yeah, absolutely. And that means real estate agents too. Absolutely. Nerida Connorsby, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate Podcast. 
with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joinaliteagent.com.